orthopedic sports huddle from the Fricker studio on classic is 96.7 WBBI on ESPN 1430 AM and at 105.7 FM WFOB. The sports huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics, Frickers, Warner Automotive by Blanchard Valley Health System, Rotor Rooter, Bigby Coffee by Northwestern Water and Sewer District, Wilson Tire, Grit by MJ Brown Construction Company, Premier Bank, Campus Poly by Financial Design Insurance Agency, Snyder's Flooring Outlet, Ohio Automotive Supply, Seneca Millwork, Five Star Maintenance, and by the Ropey Corporation. And now, let's go to Lance and Matt, coming to you live from the Fricker Studio for the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Thank you for making us a part of your night for another edition of the show. Matt, how are we doing? Well, first of all, happy Fostoria Day to everyone tuning in tonight because we have got a great Fostoria heavy show on deck for you, and I couldn't be happier about it which is good because Detroit Lions, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job. You just had just one job. That's all you had to do. And you were doing it so well. You were, you were doing it so well. I thought I could turn off the game. I was excited. I felt hope. That's on me. That's on me. But it's okay because it's Fostoria week. We got a great show. Talk with Fostoria basketball coaches and talking about the team, the community as a whole. It's it's all fine. It's okay. We're just getting the most boring Super Bowl that we possibly could have gotten between these two teams. It's two two, two rich teams just getting richer, but it, it's fine. It's fine. It it's not fine, but it's fine. So happy Fostoria week. We got a great one on deck today, guys. As Matt alluded to, we will be talking with Fostoria boys basketball coach Tom Loomis. They've won their last four games in a row, looking pretty good for the rest of their regular season as they look to capture an NBC title. We'll also talk with Fostoria girls basketball coach Derek Angelone. First-year head coach for them has his team trending in the right direction as they get ready for postseason and brackets coming up this Sunday as they have a couple more games, of course, coming up in this week before then. We might not be physically at the Frickers and Finley, but stop in for their daily specials tonight. Get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carryout window. Got dine-in. Get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app. See more and find them online at Frickers.com. Matt, I'm not going to let you just say that the Super Bowl is going to be a boring matchup. And I think people think that if for no other reason, because we did have this matchup four years ago when it was Chiefs versus Niners. But you either get now... You either get Pat Mahomes winning his second Super Bowl in a row and already getting his third, which that's kind of crazy enough as it is, or you get Mr. Irrelevant getting a Super Bowl and Kyle Shanahan getting his first Super Bowl. So, yeah, it might not be the Lions. It might not be the Ravens, you know, getting their first in about a decade or so. But, I mean, there still are storylines aplenty. Sure. What do you mean, sure? They're They're all boring, though. You think we it's boring. Have, a, you think it's boring that the guy who was the last pick in the draft might win a Super Bowl? What are you talking about? Okay, he might win a Super Bowl, and that is cool. But it's the San Francisco 49ers who have won how many Super Bowls already in franchise history? How many of them have I been alive for? Well, that's 
one ninety four. Okay, maybe. I was okay. And on your birthday. If it was if it was that actual year of ninety four, it would have been right before I was born. Never mind. God, you make me old. <laughs> He's so old. But point being, point being, it's yes, the Mr. Irrelevant storyline is cool, and I will stand firmly by this. People who are hating on Brock Purdy, yes, is he a check down king? Sure. Shut up. It's a West Coast <laughs> offense. 90% of the West Coast offense is checkdowns. He's running the offense well. It's it's more they've been in the Super Bowl with against the Ravens back in 2010. We had the Super Bowl a couple years ago, officially this same Super Bowl a few years ago. And now it's happening again. And we have Kansas City, who this is their fourth Super Bowl appearance in six years, which is insane. Six straight AFC title games, which is incredible. But I'm just bored of Kansas City, man. Like, I I do not like the Baltimore Ravens. I take great pride in referring to them as the Ratbirds sometimes when I have the opportunity. But I would happily have taken a Baltimore Ravens 49ers rematch because that's at least a decade old or more, more aptly any of the AFC teams versus the Lions. Just to have been the first time the Lions have ever been to the Super Bowl. So, sure, it's going to be a good game. I don't think it's going to be a bad game by any means. It's just I kind of feel like I've seen this movie before a lot. And I'm just good. I want to see a new movie. That's all it is. Yes, Mr. Irrelevant played in the Super Bowl. Awesome. We got this somewhat in 2001 with a sixth-round pick going against the St. Louis Rams, who had an undrafted free agent as their quarterback with Kurt Warner. It's a cool story, but it's kind of been done before. It's just it's Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey, and it's the 49ers, so it's like, oh, this is a great story. It's nice. Kind of seen it before. So I don't know. I'm also just salty because the Lions were up 24-7 and they blew it. Like, I think that's really where my negativity yeah. for the Super Bowl comes from. Just they blew it. And if my Buccaneers were going to lose, I was hoping they were going to lose to the NFC champions. Not a team that was going to absolutely tank it in the second half. So, again, Lions, you had one job. You, you, you had one job. That I'm just still salty about it. I think that's the real nature of this issue. Still salty about that. With that, we'll go ahead and step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Fall Story Head Boys basketball coach Tom Loomis here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. 
Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if auto owners make sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7, WBVI. Lance Morse, Matt Cowman here with you this Wednesday night. Your home for Fall Story Boys and Girls Basketball all season long is, of course, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Fall Story Head Boys Basketball Coach Tom Loomis here in the Fricker's Zoom Room. Coach, how you doing? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you again for uh, taking the time to talk with us. And you, you of course, had a lot of key players uh, coming back for for your team for, for this current season. So kind of what was it like uh, over the offseason kind of getting ready for uh, for this year? Well, we had a, we had a really good offseason last summer. Um, worked real hard in the gym. Uh, played a whole lot of games. Um, we go down to um, Larry Huggins Eastern Ohio basketball camp each summer and have three real intense days against really high level competition and um, kids performed really well and competed really hard. And, uh, you know, they, they developed a lot of confidence. And coach, I mean, I've gotten to see plenty of your games already this year. It really seems like that confidence and that chemistry has carried over from the summer and from last season. And it, it really makes for some impressive basketball. I mean, to, as of, uh, the, as of this interview, 12 and three on the season, you guys certainly seem to be rolling. Uh, what is the secret sauce? Is it just that chemistry? Is it just the fact these guys have played together for so long? Or you know, what, what, what are some of the things that have really stood out to you so far this season on what's been a very impressive year thus far? Well, we, we've known for a long time that there's, especially the group of seniors and then the, you know, the nice mix of underclassmen we have, but you know, our strength is definitely our senior group. Um, this, this group of guys, uh, started playing together, um, competitively when they were in fourth grade, um, Dustin Miller, our freshman coach, um, his son, Caden is, is a senior this year. Um, Caden's been out all year with some, some knee problems and hasn't been able to play, but Dustin got that group together when they were in fourth grade and, um, they started playing in some of the elementary tournaments and things, um, and the really, I mean, the really nice thing for us is, is that when we have eight seniors, um, Caden Miller's out and then Gavin Miller tore his ACL in football and is out. Um, but of those eight seniors, um, you know, we still have a really solid core of all of those guys who have been together since, since fourth grade. So they, they have, you know, it isn't always a situation where guys, when they start that young, that they all sustain it for that long. But uh, this, this group is really hung together. They're good friends on and off the court. Um, you know, and I think that really helps the chemistry, but then they've also taken in, um, you know, a couple of sophomores in Lance Miller and, and JC on Tucker, and then uh, Trent Smith and uh, Trayvon Cousin, our juniors, um, you know, they've messed pretty well. Uh, and it's been just a really nice fit for us for the whole, for the whole year this year. Talking with Fostoria head boys basketball coach Tom Loomis here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios is as we start to kind of get near the end of the regular season, you guys seem to start seem to be uh, certainly kind of getting into a groove and starting to play some of your best basketball. You know, as we enter kind of the home stretch. So what's what's kind of just the overall feeling you have uh, for your team as we start to you know get near the end of the regular season, closer and closer to uh, postseason time. Well, we've had we've had the. You know, we had the good good fortune to have some guys who can who can score the basketball both inside and out. Um, 
But I think the biggest key is, is that we've really, really improved our, our defense and our rebounding over about the last six, eight games. Um, we've, we've really made sure that that was a focus at practice. Um, you know, early on, we as a coaching staff didn't think that we were, we were doing our best job defending, um, you know, especially in the half court and, uh, our, our effort on the boards wasn't consistent and it, it really has been, you know, again, over these last six, eight games and, and, you know, we played some, some pretty tough, tough competition, you know, during that stretch and, and had a lot of success. And, and I would attribute the majority of that to our defense and rebounding. And coach mentioning that defense and rebound, it really seems like they're kicking into another gear. And the one that surprises me is the fact that we would see Makai Johnson down in the paint, actually mix it up a little bit. Saw that last night in Ross against Rossford, where he's actually down and seemed to have rotated himself down to a post position. Is that something that is a new addition or did Makai Johnson just feel like adding that to his incredibly talented repertoire that he has already? Well, he, He's one of those guys that he's going to do whatever it takes for our team to win. Um, we knew scouting wise going into Rossford that they had kind of changed their approach from earlier in the year and were playing almost strictly a half court one, three, one zone. Um, and, and we knew that, you know, with our length and, and, you know, our offensive ability that we would present some matchup problems to them. Um, and so one of the things that we had worked on um, against his own was, taking advantage of Makai's ability and his strength inside. Um, you know, I think sometimes we've had situations where, you know, he's the leading scorer in the league. He's, he's averaging just under 25 points a game. Um, and so there's been several times where he's getting, you know, face guarded by one guy and then, then help from another or sometimes two, um, just because I think they, you know, our opponents feel like if they can slow him down, you know, they have a chance, but, uh, you know, so against the zone last night, it was it was to our to our benefit to get Makai, you know, down there um, in the in the low post area. And um, our guys are really good at sharing the basketball, um, you know, with our length and JC on being being long in the middle. And then Berg also, um, you know, they, they focus on trying to, you know, collapse on the big guys inside. But when we put that third, you know, strong post presence down there, um, you know, it was it was a it was a key to the game, and you know, Makai's capable of playing inside and outside. So, you know, we try to adapt to what we what we think we're going to get from our opponents, and you know, not not just be who we always are, but have the flexibility of changing things up. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN fourteen thirty AM, one hundred five point seven FM. WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, talking with Fostoria head boys basketball coach Tom Loomis. And another thing we've been curious about in uh, talking with coaches throughout the year is, you know, just the general thoughts on the new rules, particularly the getting rid of the one-and-ones and having the bonus start at uh, five fouls each quarter and then it, uh, you know, re resetting at the start of each quarter. We've heard the good, we've heard the bad, we've heard, you know, somewhere kind of closer to the middle. Where would you kind of say uh, you stand on uh, on that rule change? Uh, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, you know, we haven't had very many games this year where, you know, end of game situations um, where you where you might want to be fouling to stop the clock and and uh, put them at the line with a chance for a, a bonus and hope for a miss and, you know, get get the two points and for one or or three for one if you or three for none whatever you can get you know in those situations, so it hasn't affected us you know in that regard. Um, 
and, and we're shooting free throws at a pretty decent rate this year. So, you know, if we can if we can take advantage of going to line with the uh, the confidence of knowing, you know, well, I got two shots here. I don't have to worry about a little added pressure for making the front end of a bonus. Um, you know, I think that takes a little pressure off kids' minds um, and they can knock them down. So not a big change. So I guess I'm kind of middle of the road on it. And one of those players who's benefited from a, a little bit more contact, a little bit more aggressiveness in terms of play overall has been uh, big man Jordan Ferguson. At So two-part question here, just mostly because Tom Grind and I are curious on the first one. Number one, how close is Jordan to joining the 1,000-point club as well? Is that something that we possibly could be seeing this season as well before he moves to the next level? And two, what can you just say about his development as a player in the paint, just probably for my money, the most athletic center in the region. And it just, I, I have to imagine that's such a blessing for you guys to have a player of his caliber in the paint there, mix it up. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Jordan's a special kid. There's just no doubt about it. He uh, he's a gym rat. Uh, I don't think what anybody knows, you know, is the amount of work that, that he has put in, and Makai as well, but the, the amount of work Jordan's put in um, in the off season, uh, you know, we lost a we lost a tough sectional final last year um, down at Lima Senior against St. Mary's Memorial, and you know that was they had Austin Parks, who's now at Ohio State, and you know we had a young team. And uh, after the game, you know, Jordan and Makai both came to me and said, "Coach, this isn't going to happen again." You know, we're going to work really hard and, and we're going to make sure that, that we have all the success we can in our senior year. And uh, so since the first of March, um, we have two of the Dr. Dish shooting machines in our in our school. Our Boosters and Redmen Club have been very gracious in helping provide that equipment to us. And um, on March the 1st, um, Jordan and Makai came in and um, started on the Dr. Dish. And that that tracks the number of shots they take, the locations, the number they make, all of those kind of things. And uh, it, it's it's just, it's mind-blowing to, to us as coaches. But Jordan is approaching 100,000 shots taken since March the 1st. Um, and and Makai is approaching 45,000 shots. Um, and Jordan really worked hard to kind of transform his jump shot because he was he was always good in the paint. But I think the biggest thing is he's elevated his game now that you're seeing, um, you know, a really nice mid range in the in the paint where he's pulling up on the break and, you know, shooting those eight to ten footers. Um, he's making moves in the paint where he's not just trying to get the, the power move, you know, right at the rim, but getting a lot of those shots from you know, four to nine feet and uh, shooting at a really high percentage. I mean, he's he's well over 50% for twos from the year. Um, you know, hasn't taken a three yet. And and I joke with him all the time because, you know, he's worked on the three as well. But he, I think he realizes that we've got other three-point shooters, so that doesn't need to be something that he shows he can do. But he's certainly capable. But, I mean, he's averaging a double-double. He's averaging just under 17 points a game and, and 10.2 rebounds a game. And, uh, you know, he's just relentless at both ends. And you also, on just looking at yourself, you recently got your 100th career win as a coach. And, you know, obviously those that comes over over a nice, you know, span of years, uh, including being uh, back at Batsville back in the day. So kind of what does that uh, 100th win mean for, 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 for you? 
Uh, it means I've been blessed with a lot of a lot of young men over a, a long time um, that that put in the work and uh, and lo and love the game and play for each other, um, and it just make you know it makes it a joy for me. Um, it was always a dream when I graduated from Foster High <laughs> many moons ago to come back and, and be the head basketball coach here. So, you know, to get that hundredth win here, um, it really means a lot to me and, and my family. Um, you know, I have a brother who lives up in Michigan, two hours away, and he makes the drive to almost every game. And, um, he helps us with our stats, um, because of his accounting background, he's really good with Excel spreadsheets and that kind of thing. So, um, it's truly a, a you know, a, a thing that it's a tribute to the players, the coaches that I've, uh, been able to coach with, um, our varsity assistant Carver Williams, um, you know, it, it's been just a true joy because he's been with me for every one of the hundred wins, both at Bettsville and at Faustoria. Um, you know, I had, had the benefit of being principal at Gibsonburg and, and being kind of a tag along with Brent Liskey's success there. And uh, Brent retired and came back and now he's helping us as a varsity assistant this year. So, you know, the brotherhood of coaching and being able to do that um, between Carver being in my assistant at Bettsville and at Faustoria and then the connection I have with Brent from, Gibsonburg, um, I just really blessed that, uh, you know, our freshman coach, Dustin Miller, and our JV coach, um, Bubba Scott, um, those guys played for me when I was JV coach here at Faustoria back in 96, 97. So, you know, I have just a super connection with, with all of our coaches on our coaching staff. Um, and so that probably is what makes it, you know, every bit more special you know, to get a hundred and be able to share it with guys that have been, a, you know, just a big part of my coaching career throughout. So that's probably the best thing. And coach with that, you did mention uh, to a little bit there, your own coaching tree that you have kind of built through your career between your assistants and the people you have on staff with you. What, what do you, what does that say about the staff that you've put together that you've, seen this success in other areas and other teams and having players come back to be part of the coaching staff and help build up this program even more that it obviously matters a great deal to you. I mean, a graduate from Fostoria, you came back to the Fostoria program and getting that hundredth win here. How, how much does that like, just for lack of a better term, how, how does that feel having players actively coming back to become part of the staff to, start their coaching journey with you and this program? Uh, it, mean, it means the world to me. Um, you know, it, our, our school, one of our school mottos for the school district is inspire, succeed, and leave a legacy. And, um, you know, I think I take that to heart with, with our basketball program and, and everything we do in the school and the, and the athletic programs overall. Um, so, you know, I guess you try as a leader to, you know, to inspire and, and give back. And one of the ways that I think we do a really nice job of that is by getting um, guys who, who grew up in Fostoria, who played here, who know the community, who know the kids, who know the families, um, you know, they can inspire our guys to, to understand that, you know, a lot of people look at Fostoria and, you know, they see all our football success in the past and think we're just a football school. And, um, you know, we, we want to show that, you know, we're capable in, in all areas, in all sports. But, you know, when you can make connections with kids that, you know, you had the, the, the joy to coach or coaches that you've worked with, um, 
that they can continue to to do the same, you know, inspire, succeed, and leave a legacy for for our kids, so that you know when they graduate and they have the opportunity um, and they're around, that they can come back and and continue that with our with our young kids as we, you know we continue to grow. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFOB, Lance Morris, Matt Common talking with Fall Story Head Boys basketball coach Tom Loomis. And this Friday night, you guys get set to take on Ot Seago. So what have been some of the things you've uh, kind of seen from them in uh, getting ready for that one? Well, they've had uh, they've had an up-and-down kind of year. Um, started the year and then lost a couple players. Um so the the roster we'll see Friday night's a little different than what we saw over at um, their place early. Um, and then I know I talked with their coach um, before our elementary stuff this past Saturday because we played at Seago. And um, yeah, he said that they have two other other key players um, who are both out with injuries. So um, big after you know ever having a game last night, we start to really focus on at Seago today and tomorrow. So. You know, we'll dig into the film and see what changes they've made with with the different personnel that they're going to have. But I mean, I do know they've got senior Jack Simpson, who's who's a load at six five inside, and uh, they got a nice sophomore wing player named uh, Devin Silva, who's really coming on. So the NBC is, uh, you know, it, it's still wide open. Um, we're all kind of beating up on each other. Um, I, I saw where Lake beat Eastwood last night, so. Um, but we've got, you know, we've got the best teams in the in the league still left on our schedule. Um, Otsego being one, and then we got got to go up to Genoa for a makeup game on Tuesday, um, and then we still got got Oak Harbor on the schedule as well. So, you know, everybody who's at the top of the league um, um, with us, you know, is right there. And then we finish up our last league game at home with Eastwood. So, you know, everybody who's real close, neck and neck up at the top. I mean, we still have them all left. To, in the second round. So there's, there's no easy nights in our league for sure. And coach, you mentioned him a little bit earlier and I'll, I'll bring it up because I, I'd be remiss if one, we didn't talk about JC on Tucker's development as the season's gone on from last year into this year, but two, and far more importantly, his almost dunk he had last night in the game against Rossford. Um, did he get the proper, sassing and harassing from his teammates for that one as it it looked so good going in and then looked so bad going out um it was, it, we, i must admit tom and i had good chunks we thought he was gonna throw it down with force and that just did not want to go in whatsoever yeah he 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 definitely got he definitely got the attention of his teammates in the locker room and his coaches um yeah, and I, the thing about Tuck is he's he's such a good kid. All he could do was smile. Um, you know, again, as an old coach, you think, well, back in the old days without the breakaway rims, that one probably doesn't spring out like that. But, um, you know, with the breakaway rims, I think the spring kind of came down a little bit when he did go with force and probably popped it back up a little bit. So I just told him, like, hey, you got you got to go right down the center and not catch any of the rim, and then that baby just bounces off the floor. So. Yeah, he he's a real good kid, and you know we love that he's a sophomore and has a big upside. Um, you know, I think the the other big thing I'd be remiss if I didn't say like a, another huge part of our success has been the play of Christian Carter Stokes. Um, yeah. Christian can kind of go unnoticed sometimes, um, but he's the one guy that we have on the team who can play all five spots at, at any time. 
Um, he's, you know, he's leading us in assists. He's averaging almost seven assists a game. Um, he's had a couple of games in the last two. Now he didn't need to last night, but um, he was huge for us Friday, last Friday against Lake when I think he had 21, um, 10 assists. Um, but he also is a kid that, uh, you know, like you guys were there last night and it's saw like, you know, we had him on one of their two best guards who, you know, had a double figure score, um, you know, and he did a really nice job of limiting that, but then foul trouble, you know, took him off the floor a little too. So, um, you know, he didn't get the minutes that he's been typically getting, but uh, Christian is, Christian's our glue guy. I mean, when Christian is, is on and Christian is defending and running the floor and ha handling the ball and setting people up, um, you know, we wouldn't be where we were without what he's done for us. And, you know, we look for big things for him down from him down the stretch as well. Talking with Foster. Yeah. Ahead, no, go ahead, Matt. Honestly, I couldn't agree more bringing up Christian Carter Stokes, his play. It, he does seem like he's really the straw that kind of stirs everything. What when, when he's going, the rest of the team just seems on fire. I, I was just agreeing with you on that one, Coach. By all means, uh, Lance, take it away. No, I'm just going to say, Coach, the, the gym at Faustoria, you know, is one that has, you know, became a popular tournament venue over these last handful of years. And obviously you're lucky enough to play about half your regular season games there too. So what can you say about, you know, you know, just the atmosphere of the gym that you guys get to play in and then, of course, getting to host uh, the various uh, tournaments in the postseason as well? Uh, well, we're we're real proud of, proud of our facilities. Um, our student body is great and like like anywhere, you know, when you when you win it more than you're losing, you get more fans. Um, and so the atmosphere really has been rocking the last few the last few home games for sure. Um, but yeah, we uh, we have a custodian, Kenny Hark, who I mean, I mean this sincerely, like he treats our gym floor like I think it's his, his living room floor. <laughs> um, it's nothing to, to go in the gym and see Kenny on his hands and knees, you know, scrubbing a scrubbing a dark spot from a gym gym shoe off the floor and, and mopping the whole thing by hand and um just you know really proud of, of what he does for our facilities and and to make them as nice as they are you know, our school board provides us with you know a great venue to play our games in and, and host um tournaments and, and we love doing it um I, I, as the ad i just sent stuff out for the, the girls d4 district that will be hosting you know the change will be a little bit this year with the the district board going to higher seed hosts rather than neutral sites. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping that we keep our, our seed where we're at in the district right now, you know, we're up there in the top one or two, um, which means we will now get to host, you know, a sectional game. Um, so, you know, that's a plus plus as well to not have to travel. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we like to showcase what Fostoria is for people from outside the area to get to come in and see that, you know, we got a pretty, pretty solid community that, we really try to do things right and be good hosts. And coach, um, not to go back a little bit to the Rossford game, but I am curious your thoughts because you mentioned at the start of this interview, the team just be the continuity that you guys have had throughout the years in the senior class, starting off in fourth grade. I I am a little curious your thoughts about what you saw last night, at least from Rossford's side from their two freshmen that were in that starting lineup, John Fox and Parker Theobald's combining for about 30 plus points between the two of them. It's uh, uh, just, you've gotten to experience from freshman to senior year with some elite players. Did, did you kind of get that vibe from them last night, watching them play and seeing how they've developed throughout the season as well? Oh, without a doubt. They're, they're two special young kids and, 
I know that they're going through a rough a rough season, but you know when uh, when Coach Vorst uh, retired after last year, and then the strength of their their seniors from last year who had just tremendous success in in the league for four years, um, you know they certainly they certainly lost a ton of guys and didn't have much experience coming back for those two young guys. They're both they're both really special, and they're going to make it tough in the league for a lot of years to come. Um, they're they're skilled. And last one I got is just as we, you know, enter the, you know, last part of the regular season, what's kind of the message to to your team, to the fan base as you, you know, look to close out the regular season strong and potentially even uh, get a league crown as well? Well, we talk to our kids a lot at practice um, that, you know, we have to continue to do the work and get better every day. Um, you know, we came we came into the season knowing, you know, what we had as far as, you know, experience and and basketball ability and basketball IQ. Um, and, you know, so I say to the kids frequently, you know, with great expectations comes great responsibility. And uh, so they have to stay responsible to come into practice and, and wanting to get better and wanting to work on the little things. You know, uh, the guys the guys get tired of me saying it, but attention to details matters. And, you know, we try to drill down to the littlest things so that, uh, you know, when it comes crunch time, you know, they know what they're supposed to do and, and can do it at a high level. And, and when that happens, um, you know, it brings a lot of success, which which we're enjoying right now. And, you know, for our fans, if if you haven't made it out, you need to come see us because we, we get up and down the floor. We get after it on defense and you don't want to miss some of the dunks that are happening. This has been Fostoria Head Boys basketball coach Tom Loomis. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us and good luck throughout the rest of the season. Hey, thanks, you guys, for your support. We really appreciate you covering our games. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Fall Story girls basketball coach Derek Angelone. You're on the air. You're on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Everyday values are at only one place, Frickers. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings. Tuesday, traditional frickin' chicken wings. Wednesday is all about that steak. Thursday, frickin' chicken chunks. Frickers, where kids 10 and under eat free every day. Remember, draft beer specials, everyday values, and kids eat free every day. The home for money-saving value is the home for fun, food, sports, and spirits, Frickers. Morgan Advanced Materials has had a great 2023, and as the semiconductor industry soars, so does the demand for our products. The Fostoria Performance Carbon Division is scaling up our operations and expanding. We'd like you to be a part of our innovative team. Morgan Advanced Materials is hiring for multiple positions, including industrial and quality engineers, electrical controls engineers, capital projects engineers, EH&S generalists, and electrical project engineers. So come join our team that produces state-of-the-art electrical carbon products that are vital for our future economy. Are you ready to make an impact? Impact, make your mark on future generations. So apply today and join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Faustoria, Ohio. Call us at 419-889-1300 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. 
Apply online at SenecaMillworks.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. This Saturday afternoon, we'll have coverage of Faustoria Girls Basketball. They'll be playing host to Corey Rawson. You can hear that one on Saturday with Matt Common and Tom Grind on WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Faustoria Head Girls Basketball Coach Derek Aronsalone here in the Fricker Zoom Room. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you again for for taking the time to talk with us as well. And you, of course, became a head girls basketball coach at Faustoria over the course of the offseason. So what was uh, kind of that process like in you uh, getting the getting the head coaching job? Uh, you know, I, well, I feel like there's a couple factors that played key roles. Um, you know, I was around the team a lot last year. I did book form and stuff like that. And Obviously, being part of the school district that allows you to, you know, build and garner some of the relationships with the students and some of the basketball players. And so I had an understanding going in to, you know, the interview process about what this team looked like, not only on the court, but off the court as well, uh, because, you know, having to teach them, having to coach them, uh, do all the stuff that I was trying to do with them in the classroom as well. Uh, so I felt like that played a key role. You know, I, I, I talked to Craig multiple times throughout the process as well, who we all know was successful here over the last couple of years. So um, he, he played an instrumental part as well in, you know, allowing me to step into this position and kind of fill that role that he left open. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think it came down to the fact that the admin realized that I have opportunities here that some maybe of the other candidates didn't have just simply based on the role and the fact that I play a, a, a big role here at the school district. And I think that was something that was missing. You know, I'm able to check the students' grades daily. I'm able to check their attendance greatly. I'm able to, you know, make sure that they're staying up to date with some of the things that a coach coming in from outside the school district would not be able to handle as well. Um, and that allowed them to make that decision a lot easier, I feel like, just because, you know, that's something that, you know, a lot of kids need, something that the district looks for. And coach, allow me to stay because I didn't get a chance to do so early in the season. Congratulations on getting the coaching yeah. job. It's I know it's I know we're closing in on February, so it's like thanking somebody at the five yard line for a successful touchdown drive. <laughs> but the fa fact of the matter is, you you did just mention replacing someone in the in the way that you did, and how he had the team over the last few years really has built up on that. You mentioned a little bit the continuity of you've been involved with the team, that you've been involved in the community and the program and the school for several years now. How much do you think that was vital to helping make it a much smoother transition than you do see with other coaching changes from a competitive team one year to the next year with a new coach? Maybe it's a little rougher than most people would let on. It, it seems like you guys kind of hit the ground running almost right away, even with some of the adversity faced early on. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, again, bringing in somebody that the girls are familiar with, I feel like was a big part for the school. That's what they wanted to do. So that allowed the girls to be like, okay, well, at least we know he has our best interest in mind. They knew nothing really about me as a coach. They didn't know how hard-headed I was. They didn't know that I was going to yell as much as I do. They didn't know a lot of things about me. But one thing they did know about me is that flat line, I care. And I care a whole lot about them. I care a, lo a whole lot about the school. I care a whole lot about the district. And if that's the bottom line for them, I feel like 
then they're okay with that. You know, they still probably don't like some of the things I do or some of the ways that I yell or some of the ways that I try to, you know, get them focused for the day to get them up moving. And we run them and we do this uh, sort of things, but you know, they really realized that bringing somebody in that truly cares about them was the bottom line for the school. And that's, and that's what the whole point was. And so I, I was very thankful that that transition was very smooth in the beginning. You know, like you said, we faced a whole lot of adversity early in the year. Um, the, the season, and I'll, I'll be a hundred percent blatantly honest. The season has not been, um, what I would say would be as successful as what we set our goals to be. We had very, very high goals coming into the year. And I think that was very important for the team to have, you know, some of these massive goals that they wanted to look forward to. A lot of those goals that we set forth are still achievable. Some of which were on the outside looking in at, but um, you know, again, we had to face adversity and we never once let that adversity be an excuse for us. And we tried to teach that to the girls and implement to that girls. And I think that they've done a great job kind of taking that in. Yes. We lost somebody who could easily have been, you know, a player of the year candidate game one, four minutes in. Um, yes, we've had, you know, to face things like suspensions that we didn't see coming, or we've had girls get sick at very inopportune times and had to sit quarters and games. And so we've, we've faced a lot. And, you know, not to mention having 12 girls on your entire roster is something that we didn't foresee coming into this year. Uh, so now we are limited with things that we can do in practice. We're limited, but they still do not allow themselves. And we try to focus on not allowing them to make or let any of those be excuses for how we step out and play and how the attitudes that we have towards the game, the effort we give. And I feel like right now, um, you know, you're seeing that kind of grow. We had a very, we had a lull in the middle of the season where we had, you know, sickness. We had, we're, we're un- we weren't entirely healthy. We were fighting different things. And now we're starting to play the better brand of basketball that we really need to. You're, we're coming off of a hot win against uh, Eastwood, who's a very, very good basketball team that got us at their place early in the year. Um, and that was kind of like a big moment for us because when they beat us the first time, we were undefeated in the league and we still had all of these massive goals. When they knocked us off the first time, you saw a change in attitude. We saw a change in, man, maybe this isn't going to be what we thought it was. You saw doubt creep into the girls' heads. And I feel like in order for us to get some of that doubt out of their head, they really, really needed that win. And so getting that win was massive for them. And I think we're definitely starting to play some of our better basketball. Uh, We have some things that we can clean up offensively still for sure. Defensively, I felt like over the last couple of weeks, you know, we've, we've demanded the girls know five different, six different defenses and we'll play five to six a night. And for them to have to buy into all of those concepts and do all of those and know those little intricate details. They've done a fantastic job of that, and I can't praise them enough for it. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. WFOB, Lance Morris, Matt Common, talking with Fostoria head girls basketball coach Derek Angelone. And as we start to get near the end of the regular season, you've mentioned season hasn't been what you thought it would be, you know, win-loss record-wise. Things, you know, kind of compared to the goals you had set for the season. So as we start to hit the home stretch, brackets, of course, are going to get released uh, over the coming weekend. What's kind of just the overall feeling you have? have about your team knowing okay got a couple more regular season games we still have some goals ahead of us what's kind of just the overall feeling you have for the team right now yeah I mean one of the uh, one of the things we talked about is we really need this massive win coming up on Thursday uh for seating purposes you know we want we want to host sectional games you know that they've gone to the format where you we have an opportunity to host two sectional games and we really need a big win over Lake on Thursday um you know 
you can, anybody can say anything they want about the seeding and how it's gone to the RPI and all of it's based off the computer rankings and stuff like that. Listen, again, we don't make excuses for anything. Uh, if we played, you know, we, we, we've had five or six games. We've lost by six or less points this year or nine or less points this year, whatever it is. So we've had opportunities and everything like that. I will say it's kind of unfortunate that the rankings ends on Friday and we have a couple big games coming up that we'd really like to showcase that we could, you know, move up those rankings and try to get maybe closer towards being a higher seed so we can get host maybe three sectional games. The ranking ends on, on Friday after our Thursday game. So we really only have one opportunity left to move up in those rankings. You can say what you want about it, but so we know we, we need a massive win on Thursday in order to move us up in those rankings a little bit. Uh, so that way we can host and we can bring those games to fall story and do those things. And then again, sectional, a, a sectional championship was always, always, always on the table. You know, we have two on the banner at the school. Uh, so going and getting one of those is massive. That's been a huge goal for us. And we, you know, we don't have any district titles. We talked about those things with the girls, you know, um, you know, the, the whole format's changing next year. So we'd love to go this year and prove to people like, while wow, we're still in this division two slot, which you could say, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, we might be one of the 10 smallest division two schools in the state, but we want, we want to do things before all that changes and show people that, yeah, we are a very, very capable basketball team at this level. Um, you know, we're getting a little bit healthier right now. We have girls playing the right brand of basketball. And so we're stepping into a massive opportunity where we can go showcase our talent uh, and do the things. I think the girls are very, very pumped for that. And you mentioned getting healthier at the right time. And I couldn't possibly agree more with that one because fact of the matter is Alicia Middlebrooks is now back in the lineup and gaining the rotation again when and you alluded to her earlier on in this interview just the the level of talent that she brings and play and she brings night in night out how has her recovery been how is her uh getting back in the rotation game back up to speed been I, I've every time I go see a game for you guys and cover a game for you guys I get the feeling when she's down there on the sideline she's just chomping at the bit like you know what? I don't need this boot. Put me back out there. I think I can do this. I think how how has that been since she's come back? Yeah, I mean, let's be real. I mean, she eats, sleeps, breathes basketball. So it, it was a really, really tough time for her. It really was. And you know, we had to talk about you know trying to stay in the right mindset, which I think she did a pretty good job of. She's you know she still does her therapy. She still does all of her other stuff. She still I, I wouldn't classify her at a hundred percent. Not necessarily physical. I think she's still getting back into the speed of the game after missing that much time. She's still getting back into the mental, okay, I have to do this. Or, I, you know, there's stuff that we, that we did over the course of the weeks. So yes, she was there. She was at practice. She was present. But it's never the same if you're not repping it. So some of that mental aspect is still coming back to her in terms of, okay, we have these different set plays called now. And this is how we run it. And these are those intricate details. I, I mean, when you see her on the floor, there's no question there's a couple things that she does. One, based off of size, she gives us a low post presence so we can do things like we can play a more adaptive zone uh, because we know we have a little bit more of a rim protector. And two, she gives us options with her court vision. You know, and yes, again, I think it's a lot of it's based on her size. She can see over defenses. And one thing that she absolutely does tremendously is there's nobody that we have on our team that sees the court the way that she does. Uh, you can see the way she makes passes. She plays at a good pace. Sometimes we need her to speed that pace up or be, you know, a little bit more uh, selfish at times. We've told her, like, you should be taking some more shots. I know last week, you know, being her first game back, she was a little nervous to do some of those things. We've got to get her in that mindset of, like, okay, 
I, I can come in here and I can dominate a game for four minutes, even if I'm in for four minutes. And, you know, we can do that, and, and that's going to help the team ultimately. But even if you were to ask her how that first game back went, she would probably tell you it was some of the worst basketball she's ever played because that's who she is as a person. That's who she is as a player. She holds herself to a very, very high standard. However, you know, watching it from a coach's standpoint, again, I thought she brought us some very good aspects without having to score. She gave us a little bit of a low post uh, defensive presence, and she also shared the ball tremendously on offense, especially with the post, because she's able to see passing lanes and angles that some of our smaller guards aren't able to see. And that very much helped us on on our last Tuesday or whatever it was against last Thursday against uh, Eastwood because she was able to get the ball into the post. And you see Lyric Johnson had a big fourth quarter and you really look back at the tape and ask why she had such a big fourth quarter. And it's, she was getting the ball fed to her on time from a place that she could handle it because Alicia was drawing people and then able to make those post feeds and do those things well to now enable her teammate to play a better game. So she does provide, uh, you know, Massive opportunities for us on offense, just being on the court. Talking with Faustoria head girls basketball coach Derek Angelone here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. Another thing we've been curious in talking with coaches throughout the year is, you know, just the general thoughts on the new rules of getting rid of the one and one and having the bonus start at five fouls each quarter. We've heard the glowing reviews. We've heard the not so glowing reviews. Matt and I, uh, Matt and I personally got to see kind of the negative side of it with the game we had on Saturday where it kind of just became a free throw shooting contest at a certain point. So kind of what, where have your thoughts been on, uh, on that new rule? So, you know, um, it was something we kind of, honestly, I think it's kind of something we over prepped for. Uh, we, we were so ready for it. We thought it was going to change the game for us dramatically. Um, and I don't think we've quite felt those effects yet. Uh, I think that, you know, there's probably some situations where we would have been shooting free throws in, in, you know, games that if we still had the one and one, we'd have been shooting some more free throws down the stretch, whatever you can't, again, we can't use it as an excuse. It is what it is. Um, we felt the effects in terms of, we see, and we notice how teams are playing it where, listen, we'll foul you seven or eight times in the third quarter because, it really doesn't matter for us to put up, you know, three different times for us to put up the bonus shots in the third quarter. It doesn't really matter to them. That's okay. But now that they empty in the fourth quarter, they're going to play a different brand of basketball in the fourth quarter. So you see teams being ultra, ultra aggressive in the third quarter to try to use some of those fouls that they have available, especially if they don't aren't in foul trouble. So they're not giving up easy buckets. They're going to play hard man pressure defense in the third quarter because they know they're resetting for the fourth quarter. So, um, you know that they're they have, they have opportunities um, to make sure that they are you know getting allowing themselves to play a certain brand of basketball prior to the fourth quarter, and I think you know that's something we've adapted as as a coaching staff ultimately as well. Is like, hey, we have fouls to give. They're getting reset. Go play ultra aggressive in the third quarter. Go make sure no teams get easy layups. Do those things. So it's been an adjustment. But I think it's also been fun in the learning process for us and for the girls to see how we're going to try to outcoach somebody or how we're going to try to outplay somebody in the third quarter in order to give us that opportunity in the fourth quarter. I mean, if you take a look at our Genoa game at home, we came out and had a massive third quarter and outscored them tremendously being down at halftime. Ultimately, we lose that in overtime. They crawled back in the fourth quarter, but we were able to step out in the third quarter 
and play a super aggressive brand of basketball. We trapped more. We got up in people's face. We played super aggressive. We didn't give up any layups. We did we did things the way that we wanted to in the third quarter, and that brand of basketball allowed us to crawl back in it. So I think that was an effect of how we were able to tell the girls we were able to play and making sure that they understood, hey, fouls are going to reset anyways. We're going to have an opportunity to win this in the fourth. And, and Coach, I, I will say I have watched your guys' very aggressive style of play coming out in the second half in a variety of games, and it's it's been fun to watch. And I, I, I think about that hyper-aggressive play, and immediately, and I'm curious if this name comes to mind as well for you, Larique Johnson suddenly comes to the top of my mind in terms of aggressive play and her development. Well, what can you say about her now that you do have Middlebrook's back in the lap. You mentioned her big fourth quarter against Eastwood, and th- that showed once again her talent. But she she really seems to be one of the players that kept you guys afloat during the early stage of this year. And now because of that, you may have one of the premier interior one-two combos between her and Middlebrook's in the area. What, what what's your takeaway on that? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. We Lyric knows that she's gonna get. She's going to get beaten up from night to night. Um, that's something we've talked to her about. We know that she had to kind of carry us uh, in the post presence for, you know, the games where we didn't have Alicia. We didn't have, uh, you know, a, another off uh, dominant offensive threat that we've known over the past couple of years. Now, granted, we've had girls step up and play tremendous basketball. Uh, one person I want to throw out there for their efforts day in, day out, Jatesa Jones. You know, you look at her coming in as a junior in her junior year, and she had never played consistent minutes of varsity. And now she's someone who's a day in, day out starter for us, be the way that she plays, the defensive brand of basketball she plays, the way she hedges screens, the way she talks on defense, the aggressiveness she has. We need to get her to be another one that we need to get a little bit more selfish at times. I think she turns up shots to try to give her teammates more opportunities. But I, I think she stepped in and played such a dominant role for us by losing Alicia and having her step into that role. Again, she did – just as much as Lyric has done for us and helped keeping us afloat by, you know, Lyric we know is going to get double teamed. Now we have to have you step up. You have to be someone that can share the basket. We have to be that can play defense. You have to be someone that can score it. And I think she's done a tremendous job of that, especially stepping into a role that she wasn't necessarily all familiar with. Um, she's allowed Lyric to make sure that she isn't going to get, you know, double or triple teamed, which we still have seen at times. And we've, you know, we've found different ways to handle that and manage those. But She's been a big role as, okay, well, if Lyric's going to get doubled, we have another scoring option in the post now by the way that she stepped up. You know, you've seen Brooklyn at uh, home in the last couple games when we've getting doubled down in the post, making some outside shots. You see uh, Amaya Poole adapting her game where she hasn't been primarily the outside shooter that she has the last couple of years when that was, that was her role. You see her, you know, attacking the rim more often, now doing really good things for us on offense by using her left hand, going and attacking the baseline. So we've – We've had to adapt a lot of roles in Alicia's absence. I think it made us ultimately a lot better of a basketball team by having to do that. And, you know, Lyric is no exception to that. Again, she's going to get beat up every night, and we know she's going to get beat up every night, and she still comes to work every day. And so that's been massive for us, and that's something that, you know, hopefully she's just going to get more opportunities with Alicia back in the lineup because teams are going to get drawn and we'll get dumps, and she'll be even better for us than what she has been the entire rest of the year because we now have another weapon to put around her.
This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. WFOB Lance Morris, Matt Common talking with Fawn Story Head Girls Basketball Coach Derek Angelone. And as you already alluded to, Thursday got a big one coming up against Lake, a team that did get you guys the first time around uh, earlier on in the season back in December. So what have been some of the things you've uh, seen from them and getting ready for Thursday? Yeah, so uh, first thing, you know, Joe Noah, like said, coach, very, very close personal friend of mine. We work together all summer. We do a lot of stuff together. Uh, they are extremely well coached. Um, what he does year in, year out with, you know, some of the talent that he has or might not have. He's had great, great, great talented teams that have exceeded on different levels. He said teams that have been, you know, less talented that have still exceeded expectations and done very good things. So we know that they're an extremely well coached basketball team. And part of that is now we know we have to have changes and we have to have things that we're going to do differently going into this matchup. You know, he might know our offense. He might know our defenses. He's going to, he's going to teach them and coach them up. So what, what we run, they're going to have answers for. And so we got to adapt in the same way. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about is earlier in, in, in this interview is, you know, we played five or six different defenses in the night and we're going to continue to do that. Something we definitely have to do against Lake. Uh, the last time we played them, we we played man defense all night. We knew that it was something at that point in the season we had to be better at. So we kind of used that as a night to sh- tell the girls, like, hey, listen, we're going to we're gonna step up and we're going to play hard-nosed man defense, and we're going to get better at it. And if we don't, they're going to have a chance to beat us. So if we don't step up and play, and you saw their motion offense and the things that they do offensively gave us fits in our man offense that or our man defense that night. So um, they were able to take advantage of that. You know, looking back on it, we wish we had some of that opportunity back. So maybe we could have changed and done some things differently. Ultimately, I think it was more of a teaching point for us because you see how our man defense has adapted. And we've played it so much better recently, kind of as a result of, you know, forcing them to do it and get better at it. So, I, you know, you could you wish you have every loss back. Um, but one of the, that's definitely one that, you know, looking back on it, we wish we could have changed some stuff up and done some things differently. And we felt like we could have we could have competed a little bit differently and a little bit better that night, having switched some of those things up offensively. We know he has all of our plays, all of our answers. And we just, that's something that we said, Hey, listen, that's why we run the offenses we run because there's endless amounts of opportunities. We don't just run a set play here and a set play here and a set play there. We run different offenses that have continuous opportunities throughout the night and how they want to choose to handle them defensively we will have countermeasures when we have actions off of that things that we continually teach the girls they want to double down cool we'll get a kick opposite if they want to front our post okay well we'll we'll slide our other post we'll get a pass we'll get a lob over the top if they're not in help so we we know those options the girls know those options and we we've worked and we're going to work really really hard this week at counteracting some of those things that they they tried to do to us last time they played us you know especially that was one of the defenses that you know we saw triple teams uh, down on Lear Johnson. She had a massive week before that game. So we kind of got a little bit greedy and said, hey, keep feeding her, keep feeding her, keep feeding her, when they did a great job of doubling and tripling her at times, and we weren't getting the ball out of her hands at the right opportunities and kind of making sure that the the uh, deep, or our offense was able to counteract their defensive moves. This time around, that's something that we are preaching and we've looked at in practice and we've worked really hard at yesterday and we'll continue to work hard at the rest of the week is to make sure we have answers for how they're going to play us on defense. And coach, I'll go ahead and ask this one just more of a uh, personal and a little bit lighthearted. I've been able to see you for several games already this season and 
I don't think it's a secret, even based on this interview and talking with you and getting to hear your passion for the game. You are one of the more animated coaches in the area. Um, uh, Coach Tom Grind and myself, we have uh, we referred to you in a few different nicknames. We're trying to figure out which one might stick. How do you feel about Baby Jury? Like, <laughs> you know, because um, well, the, the the passion it it's infectious watching the game. I'm pretty sure the officials may have a different perspective of that one sometimes, <laughs> but it's, I, I'm curious. I mean, is th that animated style, is that just something that is just in the moment or is it, 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 it shows how much you love the game and the, do, do the kids and the team catch on to that? Like how does that play with your team? Yeah. I feel like at first, uh, I feel like they, I kind of came in and the girls were like, what is this? Like, I've never <laughs> been around somebody that's, that's, that's just been so on go a hundred percent all the time. I, honestly, that's just who I am as a person. If you came into my classroom, you'd probably think, oh my God, this guy is like too excited to be here today to teach and do this. Uh, it's kind of just who I am as a person. I, I'm a firm believer. If you don't really wake up and love what you do every day and give a hundred percent effort towards it, you got to find something else to do. Uh, I wake up every day and I make the choice that, you know, I, I love competing. I love basketball. I love football. I love baseball. I'm, I'm sure that my wife doesn't love the fact that I love them as much as I do. And then I coach all three of them, but you know, I have a true passion, not just for sports, but I have a true passion for, you know, giving kids the opportunity to go out and compete and prove themselves and maybe, you know, earn other opportunities that they can get in life. For example, you know, on the football field, our entire goal is to try to give kids opportunities that maybe, you know, go, you didn't think you're going to go play ball in college. Well, let's go figure out if we can get you to that point. Let's go figure out if we can earn you some money. And it's the same thing in girls basketball. It's the same thing in baseball. I, I wake up every day and I'm like, you know, I, I just have a lot of passion and energy to give. And I, I, I've tried at times to dial it back in different ways when I've needed to, you know, um, but ultimately that passion finds a way to come out. And, you know, I, I'm sure you're right. Officials probably don't love me all the time. I'm sure that they're like, I, I, I'm very proud of the fact that we have one technical this season on the way, uh, came two games in. So, I, you know, when it came two games in, I was like, well, okay, now I know as a first year head coach what I can and what I can't get, get away with. So uh, that kind of helped me to understand that a little bit. And now I'm a little bit better at knowing what I can get away with and what I can't get away with. And so I haven't had another one yet. I'm sure there's plenty more coming in the career. Uh, no, don't get that confused. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of them. Uh, I don't always agree, and that's okay, and that's part of the game. I think, realistically, I learned um, from one of the – I'll say one, one of the greatest coaches that I've ever been around, one, a, a guy that's probably a legend in the area. You know, I played for Brent Liskey at Gibsonburg, and one thing that he was he, – he didn't get a whole lot of them in my career there, maybe only a couple, but when he got them – they were used for a purpose. They were used to try to light a fire under us and make sure that he knew that, Hey, listen, I'm here for you guys. I'm not going to allow this to go on. I'm not going to allow, you know, something that we feel is being done an injustice. I'm going to tell these guys, Hey, this needs to change. And I'm going to show them it needs to change. And I'm willing to get that tech or I'm willing to get, to get loud and scream and, you know, maybe even make a fool of myself in order to try to light a fire under you to prove that I'm here for you guys. And that's why I'm doing it. And we're going to kind of change, try to change this so that, we're going to get like, again, that fire lit under you and get you guys going and get you guys moving and see if we can change what's happening in this game. And so that's really all I try to do sometimes when I'm trying to, I'm trying to show the girls that, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to let this stuff slide. I'm here for you. I feel you. I see you. And we're going to try to make sure that 
you know, we have they those refs are giving us the same opportunity and I'm in their ear. So if I can get one call change, maybe one in that game might be the difference. If I can just get one person or one one official to look and say, you know what, maybe maybe he he earned that next one. Maybe he earned that next call. Maybe he was right about this. Maybe just put that little bit of doubt in the back of their mind. That's all I'm trying to do is to get that one opportunity so we can get that one call. And now moving forward, that gives us an opportunity for the rest of the game. So, yeah, I definitely am somebody who is extremely, extremely animated. I have a whole lot of passion. Uh, it comes out in a whole lot of different ways. Uh, but I think that stems from the fact that I, I just generally wake up every morning and I absolutely love what I do. And I, I'm going to continue to love what I do and continue to carry that same passion with me. Well, real quick before Lance jumps in, I'm, I'm going to follow that up then, Coach, with, first of all, absolutely love that about you watching the games watch it again the passion is absolutely infectious as the game goes on um second part this is the follow-up if you do wake up like that what do you have for breakfast and how many shots of the espresso are actually in there because i i need that kind of energy getting up in the morning most days let me tell you what right so coffee and caffeine are my best friends i'll tell you that right off the bat doesn't matter how i can get in i'll take caffeine uh, I, I I do the energy drinks. I do the coffee. I do it all. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll wake up and we'll, we'll work coffee every day type of guy. So uh, I definitely wake up every day and need some of that. Uh, I call it my artificial juice. Uh, I, I sometimes I'm lacking that that juice, that that energy that I need. So I'll go get some of the artificial juice and pump myself back up so we can get it uh, to the day so we can get through, you know, the classroom and say, hey, I'm going to come into the classroom with the same energy that I have, you know, on court side. So uh, but de definitely, definitely a, a lot of caffeine, a lot of coffee. That's for sure. Noted. Thank you. <laughs> Last one I got for you, coach, is uh, the gymnasium at Foss Story is one that's become, you know, very, po very popular as a tournament venue over the last few years. And you're, of course, lucky to play you know, about half your regular season games there. So kind of what can you say about having, you know, such a great place to play in and, of course, practicing as well night in, night out? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think it's 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 a mecca of, you know, Northwest Ohio in terms of basketball. Honestly, I don't think there's enough games played here. I don't think there's enough opportunity given to the place. You know, you know, our athletic director, Tom Loomis, does a fantastic job of running those events out of there. Realistically, you know, I would love to see, you know, a district wrestling championship go there. I, I, we have all the room. We have all the space. We have all the ability. Uh, we'd love to see more come here because we, it, it just gives the school opportunities. It gives the school notice. It does well for the area. Basketball is massive, massive. But the, the gym itself and what the atmosphere that it could provide to all the different games, you know, we'd love to get districts. I'd love to see, you know, a small time regional because there's nobody that's going to tell me that we can't put a small school regional in that venue and get that place absolutely rocking. I know the state will never allow it. And that's besides the point, but the fact that we have every opportunity in the world to host, you know, to have one of the greatest atmospheres night in, night out. And you see it, you know, you've seen it with the girls games in, in the past that we're trying to build back up to that this year. You've seen it with some of the boys games this year, the atmosphere that that place provides night in, night out can get crazy, crazy, and again, that, that itself is infectious too. You get into the game a different way. The players feel that everybody in the area feels that. So, you know, I, I love, love the fact that we host this, some of the sectional games and district games and all the things that we do, um, you know, moving to this new format. I know we're still going to have our districts and stuff like that here, but again, I would love to see as many opportunities as we can to get games in there. I'd love to see girls games in there, boys games in there, wrestling in there, just try to provide more of that atmosphere. It's good for fall story. It's very good for the school. Uh, we love when people come to the school, 
And you know, it's it, there's no there's no way around that. Sometimes in the surrounding area, Fostoria might get this ah uh, kind of feel to it. But I think more people need to come and see the beautiful facilities that we have here, and the work that our custodial staff does, and the work that everybody in the school does, getting this place ready for for all the opportunities that we have. And this has been Derek Angelo, head Angelo and head coach of the Fostoria girls basketball team. Coach, thank you once again for uh, taking the time to talk with us, and good luck throughout the rest of the season. Thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate what you guys do. Uh, love seeing you guys at the games. And, you know, we'll make sure all the girls are able to tune in and listen and do everything. Uh, so thank you guys again. I really appreciate it. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll recap the AFC and NFC title games and talk other things in the NFL here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Hi, this is Dawn from the Classic Hits Morning Show, and I've just heard that not all roofs are created equal. Is that true? That is true, Don. It's solely dependent on the people installing it. Hi, folks. This is Matt from MJ Brown Roofing Construction Company in Tiffin, Ohio. We're a family-owned company that's been in business since 1936. We're a full-service roofing contractor that have been working on both residential and commercial roofs. So no matter what type of roof you want, we have the expertise and the crews needed to install and maintain your roof for years to come. Call 419-447-5864 for a free, no-obligation inspection and quote today. For over 100 years, ironworkers have been building America. Do you have what it takes to be an ironworker? Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be creative and solve problems? Do you like to be outdoors and don't mind getting dirty? With starting pay of $18 an hour and with medical and retirement benefits, there are ironworker jobs available in Northwest Ohio. To take your career to new heights, call the Ironworkers Local 55 Training Center at 419-382-3080 and build a better future. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Fostoria basketball coaches Tom Loomis and Derek Angelone for joining us today on the show. If you missed any part of our show today or just want to hear it again, head over to WFOB.com, click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons we might not be physically at the frickers in finley but stop in for their daily specials tonight get their sirloin steak dinner kids eat free all day every day at frickers pick up from the carryout window dine in get delivery through doordash download the frickers app to see more and to place an order you can find them online at frickers.com matt of course before we talk about the afc nfc title games Let's talk some of the latest coaching moves because a lot of them have been made. Do still have a couple openings still at this point. But let's start with the one that's, uh, I'll say, nearest and dearest to my heart, and that's the Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. I uh, can't say I'm thrilled as someone who has been hating everything Jim Harbaugh for the last many, many years. Yeah, you know what, Lance, on that one, I'm not going to lie, kind of reminds me of Tom Brady joining Tampa. And it's like, man, I'm either going to have to eat my words quick or really lean into everything that I've been saying for the last few years. So I, I, I get it. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's a bad hire. I actually don't. I think it's a good hire. The personnel they have in place, I think it fits Jim Harbaugh's style pretty well. I really think Justin Herbert's going to benefit immensely from Harbaugh as a coach. I mean, let's just be candid. He has been successful with quarterbacks. Most of his stops along the way through his coaching career. So I feel this is actually a really good pickup for Herbert, but I don't know how I feel about the LA chargers being the escape valve for Jim Harbaugh to get out of those NCAA infractions that are probably coming down the pipeline here. It kind of seems like he left them holding the bag 
as he made a break for the door to the NFL. But it, it's it's not a bad hire. It's a good hire on paper. It's just it feels kind of scuzzy based on all the infractions and violations that may be coming down the pipeline for Michigan here this offseason. Oh, for me, it's not even about the infractions and all that. I think that's its own separate thing. It's the fact that he was the Michigan coach for the last however many years, and I didn't like him at any point over those years. Yeah, there's that too. I mean, he he did he he did coach that godforsaken team up north kind of situation. So uh, yeah, there, there's there's that part as well. But again, I know he may not exactly be the guy that you were looking for, but it is a good hire. I I think he'll do pretty well in for my own mental health, I hope that that's the case. Yeah, I, I don't think you could do deal with another Brandon Staley situation. I, I think you need the Chargers to be good. Another coaching uh, decision that was made, the Atlanta Falcons hire uh, one of your former guys in uh, Raheem Morris, who was uh, the head coach of the Bucks, uh, 09 to 2011. Did, uh, did the Falcons make the right call on this one? Yes, unequivocally, yes. I, I think... The Atlanta Falcons, for my money, I think this is the best coaching hire of the season so far. I, I will be very candid on Raheem Morris's problems in Tampa Bay were not coaching problems. It was lack of experience problems. And the fact that the team was kind of blowing up around him because of the post-John Gruden era, getting ready to kind of rebuild. I just don't think he was put in a spot to be successful. He has proven himself repeatedly from his first stint in Atlanta, where he was the interim head coach. It was four and seven, not a great record, but he was an interim coach. That means it was a dumpster fire of a season, and he made them four and seven. Really, for me, it's his time out in LA as the Rams defensive coordinator. He has developed, he has built himself up in that program and in that team and in that personnel mindset. I feel he's two years overdue for being a head coach again, personally. So I think Atlanta got an absolute steal being able to get Raheem Morris. He's a guy, again, very similar to the Chargers with Harbaugh. He knows their program. He knows their system. He was there for about four years as a deep coordinator and assistant head coach, doing a few other positions for that, personnel positions for them along the way. He knows the Falcons organization. I really think it's a great hire. I think Atlanta is going to have a Houston Texans-style turnaround because of this now the million dollar question is you just got the head coach you have drake london you have kyle pitts you have b john robinson the defense actually looks pretty impressive at different points last year's guys like jesse bates are turning into monster years do you now go all in and try to move up to the top of the draft for a guy like i say it begrudgingly but caleb williams or drake may or do you kind of sit back and see if you can land a Jaden daniels or even a Bo Nix or someone like that near the back of the top 10 and try and build it up with a quarterback? Or do you lean into the trade market? There's still talk about Justin Fields being traded this offseason. Justin Fields in Atlanta sounds terrifying to me for a variety of reasons, chief among them, me being a Buccaneers fan. But I, do you lean into that? That's the million-dollar question. So now that next step needs to take place, but I think in terms of a coaching hire, I believe they absolutely knocked it out of the park. And then another one of your guys in uh, Dave Canales uh, gets hired by the Panthers, was the OC for your Bucks 
and, you know, is get, given a lot of credit for kind of helping that offense along with Baker Mayfield, you know, become what it what it was. And I know you've been very vocal on the Panthers and, you know, their situation, you know, even prior to hiring Frank Reich and then everything that happened in the less than a year since. So is this the right call uh, on the Panthers side? It It's hard to say because it feels like more of the same. The Panthers were very heavily all in on Ben Johnson, but based on all metrics, all discussion points, the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator. He became unavailable because they were still playing. And it kind of felt like the Panthers just wanted to get this process done. And they decided to settle on Canales. Now, I will say, Canales, he's got a track record with quarterbacks. I mean, he turned Geno Smith around, helped out with a little bit of the redevelopment of Drew Locke. But the more you say about Baker Mayfield's career year that he had this year in Tampa Bay on a prove-it deal, the better. Makes Canales look really good. And frankly, the Panthers need to develop Bryce Young. He he struggled immensely this year with Carolina, but was it really Bryce Young or the fact that his number one receiver was a 34-year-old Adam Thielen? His running back was an off-the-scrap heap Miles Sanders. And his offensive line outside of Akeem Ekwanu is held together by spare parts, duct tape, and the faintest of optimism that they might fall down in front of the defender to slow him up for a second. Hard to say. So getting Canales in there, that that makes me think that they feel there's something mechanically that needs to be addressed with Bryce Young. So that is a little bit of a red flag for me in that regard. And the other thing for Canales is it's been such a meteoric rise. I mean... Two years, three years ago, he was the quarterback's coach in Seattle. Two years ago, he was the offensive coordinator in Seattle. This past season, he took a flyer to come be the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay. Went from, oh, I'm going to stay in Tampa Bay for good, to he's now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, objectively the worst team in the National Football League. So I, I think it's a very risky hire. I like that they're giving him a six-year deal. I think that's a sign that management has learned their lessons a little bit. But having said that, it's the guy does not have much of a track record outside of he's turned quarterbacks around. That's great. Can he turn a team around, though? That's going to be the million-dollar question. So, I, again, I kind of view it as more of the same. They wanted their, They had their top guy in mind. They couldn't get their top guy, so they settled as opposed to waiting another week try and get their top guy but I, I think Canales has the opportunity I just I don't know if Carolina has the draft capital and the gun-ho attitude coming up in free agency to actually build the team up to give him a component a, a complement of players and a cadre of players that he can turn around I mean in Tampa Bay yes Baker Mayfield hit or miss but objectively you can say for his career going into the season 86 86 QBR Averaged about 25 touchdowns to 10 interceptions and about 3,500 yards. That's not a bad quarterback. It's just when he's bad, he's really bad kind of situation. And he also had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin to throw the ball to with an all-pro left tackle and Tristan Wirfs. He had a lot around him to make Canales look good. I just don't know if he has that in Carolina. So hopefully they give him more than a year. I don't think this first year will go great. But 
if anyone's going to turn Bryce Young around, Canales does seem to be the best choice from a quarterback development standpoint. And we do still have a couple vacancies as uh, we sit now. We have the Seahawks and the Commanders. Any uh, any leads uh, from your side of who you think are going to get those two jobs? I mean, had you told me that the Seattle Seahawks would be one of the last coaching jobs open, I, I would have laughed you out of the building. I thought that was a prime landing spot for a coach or for a candidate. I mean, it's a it's a really good spot. You got Geno Smith on a reasonable contract. DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith, and Vigba. A good, if not great, offensive line. A defense that's really starting to get built back up again. Like, it kind of feels like they're really just maybe a new voice and maybe a slightly better defensive front seven away from being back to being the Seahawks of old. So I, I'm really surprised that one's still up, but I expect it to be someone who's very much a veteran. I think that becomes a plausible landing spot for guys like Mike Vrabel, for Bill Belichick. Um, so some of the more established coaches that are still out there in the co in the coaching ether as being available candidates. Um, other one that stands out to me is Aaron Glenn. It's it, I think what he's done with the Detroit defense. Yeah, there's been some moments where they've been a little off, but he strikes me again as that kind of Demeco Ryan's type of coach. He's a great motivator. He's a great getting the team up and animated and after it. And Seattle has always been a passion team. They, they've they've never been the quiet, just put your head down and do your job kind of organization. They've always been a little flashy, a little gaudy, a little, you know, look at me type of thing. And I think Aaron Glenn fits that kind of mold pretty well. And he's just, again, just a great motivator. You talk to anyone in Detroit, he seems like he's a guy that people are like convinced he's going to be a head coach in the very near future, if not one of these two coaching openings. So I, I think between the two of them, Seattle's a more likely spot for a veteran, someone who's been there a while. But a guy like Aaron Glenn would not surprise me if he ends up getting it. Uh, for the Washington side, I think they have to figure out what in God's name they want to be. Are they rebuilding? Are they trying to stick with Sam Howell? Are they gutting the roster? Are they tanking it? They, they need to figure that because it kind of determines what they want to do. They have good players on that team. There's good pieces in place there in Washington, but do you commit to Sam Howell? If yes, okay, you got to build around him. You got to bring in a guy that's a quarterback-minded coach, and I think that kind of, to be candid, eliminates someone like a Bill Belichick or a Mike Vrabel. Not that they're bad quarterback coaches by any means. I just I don't think they'd want to be part of a reclamation project in that regard. Do you completely tank? If so, you go the rookie head coach route. That way the whole team can build and develop together. Um, I think, personally, this would have been a great landing spot for a guy like Bobby Slowick, but he is elected to stay in Houston. Same with Gerard Johnson from Houston. So I, I kind of think that negates those two off the board a little bit, and it kind of limits who Washington could really go after. So it's, it's a bit of a tough call. It, it's a bit of a tough read. I, I think there's a distinct possibility that the Washington coach might still be coaching right now. Maybe it's somebody from either one of the Kansas City or San Francisco staffs. That's certainly a possibility. And also, just really cool, is I think they have a great candidate in-house with Eric Bieniemy. 
that maybe this is the enemy's time. He turned Sam Howe into a 3,800-yard quarterback, for God's sakes, if not 4,000-yard quarterback, and he did it with Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaren, which good receivers. Scary Terry's phenomenal, but not going to lose sleep over Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel. Let's just call it as it is. And it might be time for Bienemy. Maybe that's where they're going with it, just trying to ride it out a little bit. But it's it, it's a tough call for Washington because I think they need to figure out who they're actually going to be for the next couple seasons before they really commit to anything going forward. And I, I will throw this out there. There's a distinct possibility there becomes a third head coaching position opening up here in the next couple of weeks. There is a lot more rumblings and a lot more chatter about if Kansas City wins that Andy Reid might hang it up at this point. And that suddenly becomes the opening in the NFL. And there, there has even been some whispers and some grumblings that, you know what, that might be why Bill Belichick has been sitting out. He might be waiting to see what happens with that Kansas City job. To me, my God, can you imagine Bill Belichick getting Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey? That wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be. It would not be fair. And they're already elite, two of the best of all time to do it. You add Bill Belichick to that mix or even Mike Rabel to that mix, suddenly that just becomes equally as terrifying again. So it's Seattle seems a little more locked in. They they know they want to compete. Maybe they just need a motivator or maybe a veteran coach. So that's why I'm kind of leaning towards Mike. I think the two top candidates are going to be Aaron Glenn and Mike Vrabel for out there. Washington, they're just all over the place. I really don't know where they're going to go with it. A lot of their top choices have already been taken. Um, I know they were pretty heavily connected to Raheem Morris. I know they were pretty connected to Brian Callahan for a little bit there. Uh, ben Johnson's already turned down a coaching opportunities. Brian Johnson for the Eagles after he got let go, went from a head coaching candidate to not so much. And it's, it's, it's a tough call. It's a tough call for Washington because I think they need to figure out who they are. And that will really determine where they narrow it down from a coaching perspective. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM, WFOB. Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Fostoria basketball coaches Tom Lewis and Derek Angelone for joining us today on the show. Now let's switch gears, look back at the AFC-NFC title games. On the AFC side, Ravens, too many mistakes. You can maybe talk about some play calling and, of course, in key spots as well. Chiefs able to do enough to hold on and, as we alluded to off the top, the Lions just couldn't put away the Niners even after having that pretty good lead. And uh, for better or for worse, Dan Campbell, you know, aside from, you know, taking the points uh, to end the first half, he he, he certainly stayed true to uh, the guy that had coached them all season long in that way and that he was going to go for it on fourth down more times than not. And honestly, I know there's Lions fans out there that are, for stupid reasons, calling for his head right now just whoever you are out there Detroit Lions fans are saying oh we need to fire Dan Campbell go touch grass go hear the laughter of a small child watch a movie go enjoy a nice meal go live your life away from the football field Dan Campbell is the best thing to happen to your organization since Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders simple as that I give him a lot of credit if you're gonna go down go down swinging and go down the way you have been to get there. He did not change his coaching method. He 
been consistent throughout the season with the type of play calling, the type of decision-making he has had. And for better or for worse, it got them the NFC championship game, but it also cost them a shot at the Super Bowl. There's no denying that. The two going forth on fourth down, one of the, especially where he just should have kicked the field goal. I think hindsight being 2020, everyone can agree you should just kick the field goal. But in the moment, you're close. It's a game that's kind of getting away from you a little bit. Maybe you need that spark as opposed to the security blanket. It's it's tough. It's tough to it's tough to call an armchair quarterback after the fact because there's a lot of things that could have been done differently, a lot of play calling, but at the same time, they were up 24 to 7. So that same play calling in the second half that everyone was questioning was working like a champ in the first half. So it's tough beat. It's a tough beat for the Lions. I do think they'll be back. I, I think they really are built to be successful continuously. And the NFC North seems to be going through a bit of a rebuild itself outside of, you know, the Packers finding another all-world quarterback in Jordan Love. That That's just so not fair. That's just not fair. It's like... Indianapolis as well, another one. Those two teams just somehow stumble into elite quarterbacks every time. Just aggravates to me to no end. But I think the Lions will be back for San Francisco. I mean, they've done what they always do. They made adjustments. They stuck to their game plan. And they eventually let their athleticism win out the day, which is what makes that team work so well, which is why everyone hates Brock Purdy. Because everyone's like, oh, any quarterback can do it in that system. Well, Sam Darnold sucked in his one game that he started. And Jimmy Garoppolo, with the same players around him last year at different points, was the most mid-quarterback to ever mid. Brock Purdy's a good quarterback. People need to stop dogging on him. He was a very good quarterback in college. Yes, he's Mr. Irrelevant, but he has done enough to be the guy going forward in San Francisco. So for them, that that game, I think it was really just Detroit did everything right in the first half. San Francisco made adjustments, and Dan Campbell kind of stuck to his guns as opposed to making adjustments to those adjustments. And you end up with the game that you get. Kansas City, on the other hand, they just kind of did their thing. Baltimore, I, I don't know what's going on with Baltimore. You can't have the talent that that team has on a regular basis and continue to choke it away in primetime and close games. It just makes no sense to me. I mean, you look at guys like Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, J.K. Dobbs, I know he's not healthy, but Gus Edwards is great. You have most likely the NFL MVP and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, for about a third of that game, was the team's second-leading receiver. Like, I can't think of a player in the modern NFL who can do as much as Lamar Jackson can, yet somehow they can't put teams away. It's It kind of blows my mind. It, it's really, I mentioned the Packers earlier, very similar in a way to kind of Aaron Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay, where they had the big win to start off. I know Lamar Jackson has yet to go to the Super Bowl, but great start to his career but just unable to close it out when they need to the most. So it's seems like it's becoming a bit of a brutal tradition for Baltimore that they get just close enough to the finish line only to have their hearts broken. Maybe Cleveland curse did carry over with them when they moved from Cleveland. Just these are some heartbreaking ways to lose games. I mean, and 
I think uh, another thing to consider, I think uh, if we weren't already at the point of just acknowledging the greatness of the Chiefs, Mahomes, Andy Reid, I think now's the time because so many doubters for them, you know, heading into the playoffs and throughout the regular season of, oh, this team's not bad, but they're not as good as they have been. And even so, they went through the Bills, which were a team that was really, really hot. They went and beat them on the road. They do the same thing against the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, who's likely going to win his second MVP. I think now we can officially put them in the category of like the LeBron, the Jordan, like the Brady, the Montana. Like there's a reason that so many of these guys either don't have a Super Bowl appearance or, you know, haven't made it to an AFC title game or what have you. And it's, oh, yeah, the Chiefs exist and Mahomes is, is just hogging them all. Oh, absolutely. I, I, and to be candid, for those for those people who didn't have them in the discussion going into this season, you're out of your mind. Five straight AFC title appearances, three out of the last five years going into this year, making the Super Bowl, winning two of them. Patrick Mahomes has yet to experience a non-AFC title season since he started playing football for the Kansas City Chiefs. Just let that sink in. He's only in his seventh year officially. Sixth year as a starter. And as a starter, he has never been short of the AFC title game. That you you have to have them in the conversation as some of the greatest teams of all time. And obviously, I mean, there's without question, they are a dynasty at this point. Don't necessarily know if you call them a dynasty of the 2010s or the 2020s. Because it kind of ebbed into both just a little bit. I'd probably say 20s more than anything else. But the, the fact of the matter is, they are one of the greatest teams of all time. Patrick Mahomes, seven years into his career, has an objectively strong case to be one of the five best quarterbacks in the history of the game. Travis Kelsey, a kid, a scrawny kid from Cleveland Heights that went, played at Cincinnati, may have a compelling argument to be one of the five best tight ends of all time. Andy Reid went from a cast-off in Philadelphia to he might be the genuine best coach of all time. I know Bill Belichick has the Super Bowls, but he got those Super Bowls with Brady. Andy Reid went to the Super Bowl with Donovan McNabb. He had four straight eight NFC title appearances with the Eagles. Bill Belichick has had no success of sustainable success outside of his time in New England. There's a pretty compelling argument that Andy Reid may be the best coach of all time. And that's because he's built it around Pat Mahomes and has done what he needed to to put Mahomes in the best position to win and the team in the best position to win. Have they been the dominant force they've been in years past? God, no. This, this will probably be their ugliest Super Bowl appearance in terms of how they got there in the franchise's history and especially in the Pat Mahomes era. But the fact of the matter is, they keep getting there. Pat Mahomes continues to excel. Pat Mahomes, I'll even take it a step further. He's got probably the worst receiving core he's had in his career around him right now. Outside of Travis Kelsey. He's developed, his level of play has actually developed and raised the level of play 
of some of those guys. I mean, Nicole Hardman has been pretty decent since he came back. Rasheed Rice, kind of a popular pick as like a good wide receiver coming out of the draft, but he was quiet to start the year. He's just taken off in the back half of the season, the postseason. I mean, heck, outside of not knowing where the line of scrimmage is, Kadarius Tony has looked halfway decent at times. And that's Kadarius Tony, for God's sakes. It's that what, what Patrick Mahomes is doing as a quarterback in the NFL, I really don't think the NFL has actually seen yet. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, you look back at all the great quarterbacks from all time. Uh, Roger Staubach had Drew Pearson. Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Dan Marino had Mark Carrier, and then just a laundry list of great receivers over the years of his tenure. Steve Young had Jerry Rice. Joe Montana had Jerry Rice. You have guys like um, Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Tom Brady had Randy Moss, Dion Branch, Troy Brown. It's You can't really name many of the receivers in Kansas City as of right now because the greatest one they had, Tyree Kill, is a Dolphin. So, yeah, I'm with you 100%. I, I think if you don't have them in the conversation for a dynasty or one of the best teams of all time, you're wrong, and you need to seriously reevaluate that because what this Kansas City squad is doing is incredible, and that's also why I can't stand watching them so much because you just know the outcome. You just know the outcome. They're that good. You know how it's going to shake out, and it, it gets kind of frustrating at times. Because you want the other teams to succeed, but at the end of the day, there was what nine teams that passed on Patrick Mahomes in his draft. He was drafted tenth overall. That's 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 the luck that those teams have, and Kansas City committed to it. They've done everything they can to build around Mahomes, and it shows. And you are now talking about fourth Super Bowl appearance in six years. That'll just about do it for us here today. Big thanks to Fostoria basketball coaches Tom Loomis, Derek Angelone for joining us today on the show. And join us the next few days for our coverage of high school basketball. Thursday, we'll have BBC Girls action with Van Buren taking on Arlington. You can hear that Thursday on Classic. It's 96.7. Friday night, we'll have an SBC River matchup. Hopewell Loudon going up against Old Fort. You can hear that on both stations Friday night at about 7 o'clock. And then Saturday afternoon, we'll have coverage of Fostoria girls basketball as they play host to Corey Rawson. Matt Com and Tom Grind have that one Saturday at about 2 o'clock on WFOB. For my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Moore signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.